Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. You're here today with Kara Williard, and you can check out everything else we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. So I am here today for part three of a very deep dive on boot fitting, and today's conversation is packed full of information on the intricate and sometimes complex world of stance balancing. For this, I got to speak with Kai over at Pulse Boot Labs, and he broke down the methodology that he and his team use when it comes to getting people balanced in their ski boots. But what does it mean to be balanced in your ski boots, and why is this important? We talk about this and a whole lot more, including the very important system of checks and balances that must be in place throughout this process, which Kai breaks down as a system of red light, green light. And we also look at the sequence of what this process should look like all the way from the foot to the finished product. The end result can be as simple as getting someone flat on their skis, but the process in getting there isn't always so simple. If today's conversation leaves you wanting to hear a whole lot more about Pulse, I don't blame you. They are a blister recommended shop, and I definitely recommend that you go back and listen to episode 35 of Gear 30. This is where Kai and Sam Shaheen talk a lot about the unique innovations and technologies that Pulse has invented basically into the world of boot fitting. And they have grown a lot since that original conversation back in 2019, but you will also have a chance to hear more from Pulse later on in this season. That episode is listed in the show notes. And of course, today's edition of Gear 30 is brought to you by Pulse Boot Labs. They have existing locations in Revy and Banff, but they're also opening a new location in Collingwood this fall. They utilize proprietary software, 3D scanning technology, Italian-crafted custom injection liners. They also 3D print custom insoles and 3D print their own tools to help refine some of the techniques they are using to customize ski boots. Their goal is for you to love your boots and with all that they are doing and all that they are capable of doing with all these really neat innovations, you will definitely be on the pathway to loving your boots. So head over to their website, pulsebootlab.com and book an appointment today. And with that, let's get right into my conversation with Kai at Pulse Boot Labs, all about stance balancing. All right. Well, I am here today with Kai Paul Kanan, and he is with Pulse Boot Labs. I'm super excited to be talking to Kai. Um, Pulse does a lot of really interesting things, which we're going to be diving into even further a little bit later on this ski season. But today, Kai and I are just going to kind of dive into a really hot topic in the world of boot fitting, and one that I think is a little bit misunderstood, and I think Kai is going to be able to reflect a whole lot of insight. So how's it going today, Kai? It's going very well. How are you? Oh, doing pretty good. Um, yeah, just actually in New Mexico right now visiting my parents, and you are way up north in north of Toronto, I guess. Not too far north, but in comparison to New Mexico, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, today we are going to dive into stance balancing. And I think the first thing we can kind of start to talk about is how might people start to undergo the process of stance balancing? Like, what does that usually look like? So someone, you know, might be getting a new ski boot, or maybe they already have a ski boot. Um, and it's either they have no idea that this is something that they might need, or perhaps they have an, a notion. But what does that process typically look like as far as just kind of like approaching this conversation? I think for the most part, people get told that they need it, and then therefore they want it. 
Yeah. It's, and uh, it's usually like instruct, like ski instructors, right? Probably giving that. Uh, instructors, coaches, other boot fitters. Um, it, it comes from a lot of different places. And I think that it's, it's on everyone's radar in, in terms of, you know, individuals that ski or individuals that, that are skiing, you know, 20 plus days a year. And they're really concerned about their equipment and getting it right. It's definitely, it's definitely on the radar, so to speak. So the second that someone suggests it or, you know, they, they see a boot bedding getting planed or they see wedges being put under, under, under soles, all of a sudden it's, uh, it's, it's like the golf analogy of anything to get me that, that one yard further. Totally. And yeah, I think it's really interesting. People have just exposure to that idea and suddenly they just want to know so much more. Um, and so, you know, as you're fitting someone, is it either they already have that idea in their head or it's something that maybe you're seeing something and you're starting to talk about that. Um, but when it comes down to just like introducing that into the process, obviously there's a lot of things that have happened before we've even talked about stance balancing with a customer. So do you kind of just want to outline like the foundation that we kind of have to meet and the standard that has to be met before stance balancing even becomes part of the conversation. Yeah, I think, I think it's good to as well address it in kind of a real life scenario in terms of things that happen in the shop. The more often than not people come in and they plop their boots down on the floor and they go, can you choose, please check my alignment. And it, and it's just, you're starting from the wrong place. Uh, you're starting from outside the boot rather than inside the boot. And, and that's one way to kind of think about it. We'll always approach it from a roundtable perspective. We'll always have a couple of different sets of eyes looking at the, uh, looking at the problem and trying to find the mathematical solution to it uh, versus the, the wands say this, so I'm going to put seven degrees. And, you know, we, we've seen some crazy, crazy things where nine times out of 10, when people come in for, you know, alignment-based kind of questions or solutions, you go through a system of checks and balances and and before you even get to the alignment element, you're already finding a lot of things in, in the in the boot fit that could otherwise be improved and likely resolve a problem. Uh, a lot of the time people are coming in with coaches, for example, and they, you know, Billy Bob is this, that, or the other thing at the end of the turn, and you kind of go, well. His boots are too big. It has nothing to do with alignment. So it, it's a system of checks and balances. Totally. And I think I'd like to dive into that process a little bit more. And I know I've heard you mention like red light, green light, and kind of how we undergo that process to make that those next sequential steps. Um, but of course, there is an equation here. So that means we're starting with the right ski boot or as close to the right ski boot as possible. And we might talk a little bit more in depth about this in just a moment, but there's no stance balancing without the foundation of the fit, which is also the custom insole and things like that. And so there's kind of going to be several steps you make before you even really arrive at this conversation. I suppose as a boot fitter, you're not just jumping right into alignment. Yeah. And that's, that, and that's, you're absolutely right. It, it's absolutely incorrect to renovate a house without looking at the foundation you're bashing down walls and you don't even know if the foundation can support it so in in reality the first thing you know and and in reality bootfitters have and and you know it's not a regulated industry and in, in a lot of aspects bootfitters don't actually have the tools or the qualifications to measure this because we're as bootfitters we're not able to properly assess leg length discrepancies we're not 
able to to assess soft tissue irregularities or, or flexibility. We're just uh, it, it's just not our place. The f- the first thing first things first, you know, barring any other medical issues or barring any other other uh, biomechanical issues, uh, assuming that all is correct, which is never is. But first things first things first, you you absolutely need to to check the fit of the boot. And and when we kind of use the word fit of the boot, uh, again, it's a not reg- not a regulated industry, but it, it's very subjective to the boot being supportive and the boot can't be su- supportive if it's the wrong size but also size relates not only to you know your mondo point measurement and the centimeter measurement of the foot but it also relates to volume and it also relates to where the hinge points uh line up on the boot in reference to ankle so yeah that's 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 first things first is you know the boot comes apart if if we're looking, I, I think new boot is a different conversation. But if we're looking at an existing boot, liner comes out, footbed comes out, you know, socks off. Let's let's take all this stuff apart before we try and put it back together. Before we even look at what's happening on the outside of the boot. Absolutely, and I think that's a really important distinction to make, just so people can kind of know what goes into this process and the steps that must be made way ahead of you know looking at alignment or anything like that because. Um, we're looking at the foundation and trying to kind of achieve these key factors before we can actually understand what's going on more outside the boot. So from, from the boot, it also, it also has to be supportive in terms of the flex. Uh, we see so many, so many boots come in that, you know, for all intents and purposes, they're all the, they're the right Mondo point measurement, but it's the wrong volume and the wrong flex. Now, flex again, pretty subjective. We're not going to start using numbers in here, but, if, for example, a boot is too soft, uh, the customer or the skier can actually, just through the weight of their body and the mass, actually deform the boot to the point that alignment doesn't actually matter because the boot's being pulled out of a shape that it's intended to be in. So it's not just the fit of the fit of the of the the foot and the lower leg. It's also is is the shell representative of what is appropriate for a skier. Absolutely. And I know that's a great point. Um, Sam and I, in the previous episode, we dove a bit into talking about fore-aft balance and ankle joint range of motion and how some of that plays into trying to get someone into that proper fore-aft balance, which is, isn't necessarily even bringing into account the other stuff that might occur during a stance balancing as far as things that can be done with canting and cuff alignment and things like that. And so I'm just curious how pulse kind of brings the exactness or sort of some of the analytical ways you guys go about doing things into this process. And so if you could kind of walk me through like your methods for getting to the point where now you're like, all right, let's start to look at some of this and pull it apart. In, in the shop, we'll always, we'll always scan first. Um, even if someone's coming in for a punch or a piece of padding, the only time we wouldn't is a buckle replacement. But for all intents and purposes, we need the math behind the behind uh, behind the foot, and that's that's an absolute. And it gives us twenty five different measurements of the foot to then start matching the 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 foot to the boot. But that doesn't really take into consideration sensitivity. So we always have to kind of go through a little bit of the. The communication process if people have, you know, cold toes uh, in terms of sizing or shape or what's going to happen to the boot after 20 days. 
from from the math that will then start looking at boot in the or foot in the shell, left and right, because you're going to see differences between them. In the back of our head, we always have have things that uh, are potential. You know, is there a limited range of, of of motion? Is there old injuries, or is there any hardware in the lower leg? Is there any bony blockages that might actually be throwing things uh, throwing things out? If if the shell gets a green light, and it's rare that it does, um, then second thing we look at is the uh, footbed orthotic. Whatever, whatever it is they, that they're using. If it's an off the shelf, uh, it's an immediate red light. No way, no chance are we going to touch the alignment or address the alignment with an off the shelf insole. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that we see. And people need to understand why. It's not because we're trying to sell expensive footbeds, it's because what we're talking about in reality is, you know, half one, one and a half degree. If everything's right, it's rarely more than that out. Um, when you look at an off-the-shelf insole, the way that we describe it to people is that it gives you more contact throughout the foot, but it doesn't give you functional support. So that added degree of contact quite often will add to more comfort in a boot, but it doesn't necessarily act as an orthotic. And by definition, an orthotic is something that supports the skeleton. So yes, they're great for running shoes. Don't get me wrong. I wear them in a lot of my athletic shoes, but inside of a ski boot, uh, the support system has to be just as solid as the boot itself. So the boot needs the footbed and the footbed needs the boot. So if they're both not working together, then it's a red light. Um, and I think as well, we sometimes use examples or analogies. Last year, we had a skier come in in one of the shops and came in with his coach who is an incredibly high level coach. And he came in, he had a plug boot and some 92 millimeter boot, doesn't matter which one. And we've been working on, you know, Jozo's uh, alignment for a year and we just can't, we can't seem to get it right. Can you, can you check his alignment? I didn't even have, have wands in the shop at the time. And I was like, well, I can have a look and see if we come up with any red light. And the shell looked decent. And then I pulled out his insole and he had all of these different wacky four foot wedges and his toes were ramped up and the heel was completely flat. And, and it was too big for the boot. So it was getting tackled inside of the boot or leveling off to the side. And I kind of went, well, I, 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 we've kind of found a red light here. It's like, oh, but it's custom made. It's custom made. And I was like, unfortunately, it's not a regulated industry. Uh, let me let you stand on a couple of different things in terms of what should be in a boot versus what you have. And educating and taking people through the process is really important rather than just saying, yeah, this, this insole that you spent 200 bucks on is, isn't, isn't worth the plastic it's made with. Uh, so it, it, I, I'll often use the, the analogy of, you know, anyone can purchase footbed vacs and footbed blanks in the same way that I can walk into a hardware store and buy a nail gun, but don't ask me to build your house. So yes, we, we, I, I'd say if the boot's right and the footbed's right and right doesn't mean it's custom, it means it's actually right and it's posted properly and ground properly and interfaced into the boot properly. 
then that's a green light. But how often you get green lights on shell and green lights on footbed is, is pretty rare. Uh, a, a big one as well, especially when we're talking about alignment, quite often we're talking about, you know, quote unquote, plug boots or, or uber narrow elastic boots. And someone gets on an insole or something from their podiatrist and you drop it into the shell and it's sitting off on an angle because it's not actually finding the bottom of the boot. Well, there's an alignment issue. Your footbed's sitting at 30 degrees inside the boot. Yeah, that can make quite the difference. Yeah. And I think these are all such important distinctions to make. And maybe it just helps people to start thinking about why there might be so many steps before you get to the conversation of alignment or it stands balancing. Um, and so that's, you know, really good to think about. And I guess I would just like to pull it back a little bit and just really have you kind of define like, what is, what is it that we're looking for when you are in a balanced and aligned position in your ski boots so that when people hear us say like, oh, they're one and a half degrees, you know, high side outside or however you're phrasing it or one degree off. Fat side in, fat side out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What does that mean? And so I think just kind of taking it back and like having someone who's never really thought about this, what are we trying to achieve in a stance balancing situation? That one is, I think, probably another podcast in itself because there's so many different, you know, when we're looking at, so from a boot fitter's perspective, we have to look at it from a boot fitter's perspective. We we can communicate as much as we can with coaches. We can kind of watch a video. Uh, but in the shop, we're very limited in terms of seeing exactly what's happening on hill. But the theory of it is that in the turn transition, which is is arguably one of the most complicated parts of the turn, uh, you want to be unweighting into the transition and weighting out of the transition in the most neutral stance possible. And by neutral, uh, you're either saying, yeah, you're weighted, uh, you're weighted over the center line of the ski or just over the center line of the, the seam line of the boot or just to the inside. But there's also, you know, in the, in the theory of it, there's also red flags in that because you kind of go, okay, what happens to the alignment at the beginning of the turn and the end of the turn? Because the knee doesn't always track perfectly straight. Right. So for, for us, we look at it as, as, as the, the starting point or the base point of, you know, you are starting down a hill, skis running flat, not on either edge, not going in, not going out, and your skis should track a little bit to the inside. Yeah, that, that, that's, I guess, the gist of it. But uh, you'll have other people that will suggest, oh, what about the end of the turn? What about the beginning of the turn? What about a GS ski versus a slalom ski where you're weighted differently and it's 60-40 versus 50-50 or a wider ski where you're 80% downhill ski and 20% uphill ski. So there's a, it's a rabbit hole rabbit hole, can of of worms, but we just kind of go, okay, this is what we got in the shop. We're going to start from neutral and neutral is uh, your athletic stance. And in some, I guess, instances, and you can correct me if you see it differently, but that is mostly except for certain situations where maybe the knee is not where it needs to be. You're trying to look at a, a flatter ski just when standing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if your skis are constantly running inside or constantly running outside, uh, number one, they're not going to track properly. And number two, it's going to make it uh, harder to get in or off your edges. And so how would you, I mean, if someone just wants to start thinking about this while they're out skiing, and of course, 
with a lot of caveats being like, oh, you need to be in the right boot with the right insole before any of this maybe comes into play. But while they're out skiing, I mean, what are some of the things that you might suspect that they are feeling if they're heavy on their inside edge, for example, or maybe they have one turn that's really strong and one that's not. So they can just kind of start to piece this together maybe while they're thinking about it on their own. I think a big one is if you're working with a coach or not working with a coach, I think for a lot of people, uh, it's really important not to try and overanalyze it because for the most part, the general, you know, even people that ski a hell of a lot, even some level fours that, that we work with, they don't have the feel. So when they come into the shop, the information that we're getting as bootfitters is actually not good information. So, so I'd say, you know what, don't worry about it. If you're curious about it, please go into a shop that, that knows what they're doing. They're willing to take your equipment apart and do a full assessment before they just stick you up on the wand. If they have, I, I'd say that if there's a problem that they're constantly having that a coach can't solve or they're cognizant of, of I can't get off my edge in the end of the turn on the right turn. Then we can go, hey, bing, 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 that's, that's a, a light of this might be an alignment issue. If people are thinking about alignment, nine times out of 10, they can improve their boot fit before they address alignment. Right. Which is why for most people who you know maybe have this idea of alignment sparked in their head, if you're going into a boot fitter, that boot fitter is going to be pulling everything apart and kind of starting you from the beginning and kind of taking those steps all the way back to the beginning. So if you you know, pop into a shop and someone's just throwing you up on the stance wands and seeing what's going on without actually taking it all apart and looking at your foot and looking at lower leg and things like that, you know, maybe that's not a good sign. We actually have a way to figure out if we have good intel or, or maybe less than good intel coming from, from skiers when it comes to alignment. And it doesn't always happen, but if we're getting mixed messages and we usually won't tell a consumer that that doesn't make sense, but we'll we'll quite often put them on on the on the flat surface, and we'll start playing around with you know how do you feel two degrees fat side in how do you feel two degrees fat side out, and then we won't switch it and we say we will and then they go oh that feels way better and you're like I didn't touch it actually so maybe maybe I'm gonna think twice about what you're telling me. Right, that's a good way to kind of do some truth testing as to you know where someone's at. And um, yeah, so kind of ground truthing, maybe someone's perception of something. And then also knowing that, yeah, there's sometimes a, a bit of a placebo thing that you kind of have to <laughs> figure out with some. Yeah. And some it's, it's hard. You know, I don't think it, it, most people out there can't. And if, if I'm not skiing on the hardest of snow, I don't notice, you know, half a degree, obviously. Uh, so it's not taking anything away from a, people's ability to feel or not feel like you look at landmarking a boot for a punch, for example, and most people are about half an inch out. Like that's absolutely not where it is. So let's mark it properly. <laughs> yeah. And a half an inch is a whole lot in a ski boot. It certainly um, is. <laughs> awesome. So I think now I just kind of want to talk through the different sort of mechanisms that get people into alignment per se. So I know there's like, even sometimes like people get confused as far as like cuff alignment versus canting. You know, people say like, well, you can't my boots, but maybe they just mean moving the cuff a little bit. And, um, and then when you actually do have all these steps in place, so maybe you're now in the right boot, you have the right insole, perhaps the cuff was moved a little bit, and then there, we're still seeing something, we start to, you know, go down the pathway, the green light towards actual canting. And so if you could just kind of dissect a little bit what cuff alignment, the purpose that serves, and then where the limitations with that are, and then maybe you start to go even further 
which is actually like changing the angle of the boot or the bottom, you know, planing and things like that. So just kind of all the different steps that can be taken as you go down this process. Yeah. Uh, so we can kind of back up a little bit and kind of go, okay, we get a red light or a green light on the shell. We get a green light on the footbed. Uh, from there, then we go drop the footbed into the shell. And if everything looks good, uh, then we go green light on the footbed shell interface. And then we look at the liner, um, the liner, the stock liner. Um, and we can jump back and talk about stock liner because that's a pretty important one as well. You're measuring alignment in a liner that's going to change in five days. Great point. Yeah, please <laughs> jump into that. <laughs> um, so, so retail, let's call them retail liners for, for the most part. Are, are Some have higher density padding, some have lower density padding dependent on who the boot is designed for and, and its usage and days speed per year, blah, blah, blah. Um, but inevitably, stock liners are, uh, they pack out. We all know that. And it's, um, it's important to recognize that, that the stock liner is actually a part of the equation as well. We've, we've taken people that have pretty much measured zeros with a brand new stock liner, and then they go ski it for five days and you stick it up in the wand because the liner's packed out and it's not as supportive as it was five or 10 days ago. All of a sudden, their foot and the movement to their foot inside of the boot is more substantial laterally, which throws your alignment out. So liner choice as well makes a dramatic difference. If you, you're spending, you know, a thousand bucks on a new pair of boots and a decent footbed, and then you're spending 200 bucks to plane it straight out of the gate or put shims in it. And then all of a sudden the alignment that you measured day one is different on day 10. So that to us is, it's really, really easy working on the alignment in a, in a plug type boot because the liner is a sock liner that doesn't pack out. So you're getting that support from the shell. The shell typically doesn't change. Um, so, you know, just keeping the back of your head that, that liners can play a role as well in terms of what I measure today might be different tomorrow. And that like a more cushiony or liner with even more foam or padding could actually be more problematic as it packs out because it's, you went from having more volume to now a, a void or something. Yeah, exactly. So beyond that, you kind of look at the liner, yeah, your liner's done, let's not bother with this. But if we get a green light there, then we drop the foot onto the footbed into the shell. And this is where we look at two things and it kind of relates to cuff alignment. Uh, but it also relates to kind of looking at what we call the inside triangle. Inside triangle is uh, first met um, inside ankle and heel bone calcaneus and seeing if there's any bony blockages where the boot is holding the foot uh, out of position. But we'll always do that in... So, hmm. I'm going to back up a bit. We'll always do this with the center of knee mass mark. So when you're checking the footbed, is the knee dropping over uh, seam line of the boot? When you're checking the foot inside of the shell, is the knee dropping over the seam line of the boot? Yes. Have a look inside. Are there any areas where there might be bony blockages that, that need to be addressed before we address the cuff? Uh, we'll have a quick glance at where the ankle bones line up with the, with the uh, the hinge point on the boot, it, you have to be careful, uh, but you're not always going to find find a, a bang on solution. So you kind of, that one's a bit ambiguous. Cuff alignment is, is basically, in simplest terms, is uh, taking the angle of the, the lower leg, your angle of your tib-fib, and matching that to uh, the seam line of the boot. So, so you basically just it is the cuff lining up properly. 
uh, with the cuff, you're not trying to push the knee in one direction or the other. You're just trying to basically make sure that on either side, when the buckles are done up me on the cuff reasonably well, what, uh, what type of gaps or what type of, of spaces do you have on the side? It's just a, a, a trick or a good, a good, good note as well is before you start this process, you figure out, you can usually see it on the wear marks of the buckles or on the ladders, but when you're checking the cuff alignment, you should have the cuff alignment done up to the point where the consumer, the skier usually has the boot done up. And the reason for it is as you're wrapping more plastic around itself in the cuff uh, and consequently pulling the lower shell in on itself, you may find a bony blockage that didn't exist when you had the boot undone, for example, or you might find that the inner cuff wraps so far around that it's affecting the, the, uh, the cuff alignment because there's more plastic on one side than the outside. So having that cuff done up properly as well is is pretty key. Absolutely. And I think um, people might have heard this phrase in previous episodes as well, but sometimes it's just, that, you know, filling the voids is how some of that yeah, may be thought absolutely. of. So, you know, trying to line up the lower uh, leg to the cuff angle of the boot um, so that it's nice and centered across the tip bib. And that um, there's just nice even pressure maybe on, I mean, there's even just like the simple sometimes like poking your fingers in there and seeing like, man, that you are like, there's so much pressure on one side of the cuff versus another. Yeah. And if, if you do see, see a situation, it's rare that it's on the outside, but a lot of the time you'll, you'll see someone just kind of, you know, it's the, the, the cuff of the boot is almost pushing into their calf muscle and you're kind of going, okay, this, this is probably going to be a pretty extreme situation. Um, at bare minimum, you want to get the pressure off the leg. A bare minimum. Uh, otherwise, they're being held up, and that I, I guess that kind of folds back into what we were talking about before on the inside triangle. Is if you're being held up by the shell, you have to stop the shell from holding up the the lower leg or the foot. Yep, totally. Um, and so then you know, there's obviously some limitations to cuff alignment, um, depending on the boot and everything else, and. Hopefully, you know, there's boots that are especially like, I mean, for women and a lot of women who are, you know, maybe have the quadricep angle coming into play and maybe they are heavy on their inside edge and that inside uh, leg is just getting a little bit bit, bit by the boot. <laughs> it hurts. Um, you know, now it's like, oh, well, we actually have great options for cuff alignment and a lot of these boots and things like that. But there can be limitations there. I'm not sure exactly what you would do in a situation where it's like this boot actually doesn't have cuff alignment you know, that, that can be a limiting factor. I think that would be pretty subjective to the situation. Mm -hmm. If a boot doesn't, well, on a lot of boots, the cuff alignment is completely non-functional anyways. Um, if the lower clog comes up too high, if there's a double rivet in the back of the boot, quite often you're kind of fighting these double rivets in the back of the boot. If there's a walk mode or a walk mechanism in the back, I, I, I'd say do your best with, with cuff alignment, but it's certainly not the end all and be all in terms of what can and can't happen to a boot you know you look at the boots out there with there's some systems with the interchangeable um interchangeable uh kind of washer rings little chips yeah yeah they they kind of work they do a reasonably reasonably good job uh, I, I guess i guess in reality that one's a bit subjective to situation in the boot while the customers in the boot and kind of a good one good one as well Hopefully this, this is a little bit of kind of information and insight. It's also, you know, you'll see a lot of people uh, checking, checking the alignment and they're on a flat surface. 
and you get people into their, you know, athletic stance, whatever you want to call it, you know, boots are parallel, you're on a grid doing whatever. Um, but you haven't taken into consideration uh, the ramp angle of the binding and every binding has a different ramp angle. And when you actually start throwing fore aft balancing off, it can also actually affect in and out balancing. So, you know, food for thought, do you have little blocks that you put people on depending on what binding they're on to kind of go, hey, I know that a ramp angle on, on binding X is ABC. So I'm going to have my little ABC block stick it under the stick it under the heels and then actually see what happens. Because uh, you can actually start noticing differences on uh, lateral balancing dependent on the ramp angle. But that's maybe a conversation for last week when you were talking about four aft. Well, yeah. And uh, I mean, we actually did touch on binding ramp angle a little bit. And of course, there is a lot of nuance there as far as like the you know size of the foot and how drastic that binding is and things like that. But of course, the point being is that these factors are all interrelated. And so you kind of have to take this approach of like looking at the entire system to really make sure that like, if you're, you know, going down a path that everything might look great, but then they clip into that binding and now suddenly it's thrown off again. So there is just so many factors that kind of relate to each other and have to be taken into account as you kind of look at this whole system um, and try and get it as good as you can. Yeah. And it's, it, it, in a, in a roundabout kind of way, you know, with with the shop, we were very cognizant of of maintaining maintaining quality of of fit and the workmanship that we do, and making sure that what we're doing in Revelstoke is the same as Collingwood, is the same as Banff. And so, in that, we have to document everything. And once we document everything, we can kind of come up with a round table and go, okay, what's what's the best way to approach this? And the best way to approach it is in reality a system of red lights and green lights so far as we can tell uh then everyone's working on the same page we all know that we got a red light at footbed okay we're going to stop at footbed and it's not it's not i'm going to i'm going to approach this from a blender mentality and try and try and what's the word gordon gordon ramsay uses deconstruct something that's just been in a blender it's you have to know the ingredients that are going into the blender first yeah, and that's a good approach in trying to, you know, build some obviously consistency into it because this is very sensitive stuff when you're actually looking at all of this together. And so, you know, like you mentioned at the top of the episode is boot fitters aren't medical professionals. And so we really have to, you know, be kind of careful with all these nuances and understanding like if you see something that red light, that that's kind of where you have to where you have to stop. Yeah. And it's and it's it does make it easy because usually if there's a coach involved, there might be a physio involved and, and, you know, you can, you can call and ask, but it, it's kind of a segue into, into another part of the conversation of uh, a lot of alignment issues can, can actually be dealt with through a higher degree of flexibility. Yeah. So I actually want to, I do want to talk a lot more about like rigid and flexible kind of like how people on one side of the spectrum are not react to some of these things that we're talking about. So I do want to dive into that. But before we go there, I just I know we kind of just broke down cuff alignment a little bit. And so now mm-hmm. when we're actually taking it to that next step, which is canting, what is what is that? And what does that mean? And what are you doing? And why is that kind of a, a pretty sort of rare craft that a lot of boot fitters, um, only a certain amount of boot fitters will actually because it's one. very evasive. <laughs> for the most part you can't undo it so you better be sure exactly. not reversible you better feel really good about this and you better you better make sure that the 
the consumer or the skier sees the value in it. Um, point. <laughs> so uh, there's a couple of different ways to approach it. There's two schools of thought. Um, I don't want to, I don't think it's, uh, there's two schools of thought out there and, and they've always been out there and no one, uh, if, if there weren't arguments for both, uh, then one would be seen as more beneficial than the other. Uh, so I don't think it's, I don't, it's probably not prudent right now to kind of go, Hey, we're going to get into the debate of push the knee or let the knee go flat. Um, but in reality, what we're doing beyond cuff alignment is changing the angle that the boot sits on in relationship to the flat ski. So in the past, it used to be putting shims under the bindings. And then it got to uh, planing boot soles, which I think, I think a lot of people are planing boot soles to get the wobble out of them. Uh, but for the most part, uh, there's a lot of validity in just using the, um, uh, the canting plates that go in between uh, the heels and toes and then uh, buzzing the heels and, uh, heels and toes of the lugs. Um, it's, it, it's reversible to a degree. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're, you're basically taking, if you can imagine the seam line on the heel of the boot, uh, this is maybe a good way to think about it. Uh, if you picture the, the ski and then the boot and the boot seam line on the clog runs perpendicular, and then you have the seam line on the cuff. So what you're doing with cuff alignment is you're changing the relationship of the foot to the lower leg. And then if you're still looking from the back, you've got your clog seam line at 90 degrees, and maybe you've adjusted the cuff so it's outside two degrees, who knows? Uh, but what we're doing with canting is really changing the angle of the clog. So when you change the angle of the clog, you're ultimately changing the angle of the cuff as well. But you're changing it by tilting it either inside or outside. And the, the industry terminology is uh, fat side in or fat side out. Not very technical for a very technical topic. Um, uh, fat side in is your, your, obviously, your big part of the wedge is on the inside. Fat side out, your big part of the wedge is on the outside. And big part of the wedge is where the void used to be, and you're trying to fill that void. Well, then we get into the age-old conversation of where we're going to fill the void, or are we going to push the knee? Right, and then we're back to that. Uh, <laughs> so, good point. Okay. <laughs> good point. Um, so yeah, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, because I know it can be a lot. But um, basically trying to get someone flatter than they would have been by removing, taking material away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, not re- it's not reversible. I mean, maybe it is, but it's going to be kind of messy. And then um, you're effectively also changing the heel and toe lugs. So you're taking on a little, you know, boot fitters are taking on a little bit there as far as the binding, ski boot binding interface. And so there, there is some, um, I mean, there's some real skill involved here. It's not, it's not an easy thing. There's some, some de- I'd say decision making. I'd say yeah. the decision making is more complex than the skill involved. <laughs> okay, good, good, good clarification. I would agree with that. Um, so, is there anything else you want to say? I mean, in regard to canting, like I know it's gotten a lot easier. You know, obviously for um, you know fixed sole boots like plug boots, you are usually just planing the boot, and then sometimes adding heel and toe pieces, and then cutting the lug. But then now we have like cantology shims and things that are like 
make it a little easier as far as like, oh, there's shims made for all these different boots out there and you can just put them in between the heel and toe pieces. And so in some ways, you know, there is, it has probably gotten a lot easier than it used to be. But is there anything else as far as like, you know, methods or things that you think are kind of interesting as far as how this process is going? Um, I think, I think, I think one of the areas where the industry has to be very careful and coaches as well is juniors and the junior race programs. Um, it's, it's, it's quite often, you know, whether it be the coach, the club, the parent, the boot fitter, the sponsor, they want to go to the end of the line to take out all of the, anything that could be ambiguous in terms of the equipment. Uh, but for example, you know, if you, if you start looking at canting a U16 athlete, um, or even now we're seeing a U14 athlete, uh, these kids are growing, their soft tissues not developed, their, their skeletons not developed. You know, you can take most of them and roll them around on a, on a, on a, on a tennis ball in their IT band for 20 minutes. They're going to get up on the wands and it's going to be completely different. So I think, I think. You know, kids in general should be a, a a big red flag. Get the boot right. Get the insole right. You'll get ninety five percent of the way there, ninety nine percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're adaptable. There's no reason to like force their anatomy to be doing something specific. Probably while they're still growing. Yeah, and what you measure today could be different tomorrow, or or it's it's just a matter of of the fact that skeleton and soft tissue don't grow at the same rate. It's, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. That's really fair. Um, so then I guess just a couple other things we could bring into this. I know you mentioned sort of like flexibility being a huge part of this. And so like when I know I've seen this a lot, like having someone in front of me on stance wands, who's super flexible versus super rigid and just like, it really makes a big difference as far as this entire process. And so how does flexibility, I mean, whether it's, you know, functional or not, or bony block, you know, there's bony blockages, there's a lot of other things that can be going on, but how does that play a part into this and why? might someone who's on the more flexible side kind of be in a different position than someone who's, who can't, who's rigid and isn't necessarily going to be able to change that? Uh, well, there's, there's rigid skeleton and then rigid soft tissue. Rigid soft tissue tends to, tends to be where the red flags are. Um, again, you know, we're not medical professionals. We're not, and, and there is no flexibility scale. Oh, you're an eight out of 10. That's not a thing. And the one place that, that really can, uh, throw the whole alignment conversation into the garbage is the IT band. Because if your IT band's tight, it's going to pull your leg out of alignment straight out of the gate. So in, in terms of flexibility, we don't, do I look at entire body? No, but, but I am thinking, okay, well, I've got this guy up here. Uh, you know, what's, what's the likelihood based on you know, whether it be body type, lifestyle, conditioning, coaching, how much time do you spend at the gym? Do you do yoga? Um, and I'm not saying that everyone has to do all these things. I put my hand up and go, no, 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 no. I'm very unflexible, but that's not going to change. <laughs> um, but I know that if, if I was having big issues with, with alignment, I'd probably go do a couple of yoga classes. <laughs> yeah. Or if I- you like just just ran a marathon it's probably not like the next day you're gonna go get your full stance balancing appointment you know it's just like time to maybe yeah, roll out that it, it band a little bit you're you're rolling in after 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 six apre beers 
and uh, all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, you're looking pretty wobbly. <laughs> so now flexibility, I, I think it's a big one, but there's not. I don't think there's a huge amount of a conversation there. It's just is can the IT band completely pull alignment out of whack? One hundred percent. And then someone who's flexible, it's it might feel like more of like a moving target sometimes because I feel like flexible people can kind of manipulate their stance to do different things. But it's like, you know, there's a lot of flexibility in that entire system. And so it's like, are you talking about Gumby? <laughs> kind of, though. It's like, oh, well, now you're now your knees. Now your knees doing that. It's like someone who's rigid, rigid. It's going to be kind of fixed. But someone who's flexible, you might actually see like things changing based on I don't yeah know. well the best part of this conversation is that there's no absolutes <laughs> yeah no absolutes ever um so when you get to those weird ones uh part of the end of the process for for for, for us as well is okay well uh we got you up on the wands we got you up on the on the steel plates we've you know tried a couple of things we're looking at center and knee mass what does that feel like well that feels horrible okay, well, maybe we're not going to do it, or I can't notice a difference, or, you know, with overflexibility, or if you're dealing with Gumby, quite often what you'll find is that one, this is just an example, one degree will be just fine, but they'll want three. So they, they, they're kind of going, yeah, okay, I'm balanced. Give me more, give me more, give me more. And you just have to put your hand up and kind of go, no, that's not, you know, Here's 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 the stuff and a drill and, and a boot sole planer, but incredibly high degrees of flexibility will generally, and this is generalization, the skier will often want more. So if they're fat side in, they want more fat side in. If they're fat side out, they want more fat side out. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, which I guess brings me to the question of like what what are the limits as far as like, you know, there's times where you're just like, that's it kind of thing, you know? And I, I mean for some shops there might like actually be you know and and maybe just from like a ski boot binding interface you know you're like we're not going more than three degrees or whatever it may be but when it actually comes to the whole limitations of this process how do you kind of draw that line uh draw the line in terms of what we'll do on the outside of a boot yeah from experience and math and statistics we know that if we start from scratch and build a boot from the ground up uh we can get that boot and it's the right boot obviously we can get that boot to within half a degree either way. Uh, if we're working with potentially the wrong boot or the wrong footbed, or we haven't ticked all the boxes or gotten all the green lights, I, I start cringing when I see things wanting to go more than kind of two degrees. And that's, that's especially if it's a retail boot. Uh, and, it, and it's not, it, they might be on the wands and they might read three degrees. So that's pretty rare. That's kind of a red light in itself. Um, but the lug will often not tolerate it. So if you look at uh, a lot of the retail boots, now they have, you know, the Cantology strips. And if you put a three degree strip in or start stacking strips on top of each other and then start planing the toe lug, toe lugs are often hollow. So even if it looks solid, you could have less than a millimeter of material in there. And to me, that's, that's unsafe. And when you're getting into the realm of unsafe, it's just a, it's cringeology, not pantology. Totally. And yeah, I think that's just, it's good to have people thinking about like, there is red flags along the process. And so as you're going through this entire process, there is going to be these definitive 
hard stops. stopping points. Yeah. Yes. And that's something, a conversation that your boot fitter should be really comfortable having as far as like, this is where we need to stop and why. And I think the biggest part here is that there does need to be the explanation of why, you know, why are we doing this? Um, and I think, you know, I, I guess, how do you sort of talk to people through this process about why things are going a certain way? Or how do you see the communication of this process as really important throughout? I, uh, that's kind of a tricky one. Uh, quite often, we'll hit red flags along the way. And then when we hit a red flag, we uh, prefer to take the time and explain it to the person sitting across the bench from us, not only from a justification point of view, but also if they go skiing the next day, then they have some you know, better intel in terms of you know, their decision-making. It, it is communication and it's, it's telling people you know, the reality of things and, and math is very believable and voodoo is not. So it shouldn't be about voodoo. It shouldn't be because I said so. It should be, yeah. hey, let's make sure we're working together and we both understand what's going on. And, and it's important to have a team of guys there as well. Quite often, I'll kind of go, especially with alignment, hey, uh, I just want to get someone to double check. Of course, and I'm reasonably confident what I'm doing. But if I have another set of eyes there that can actually go, hey, wait a sec, have, what did they say when or what was the language? And quite often, we're not listening just to the words. Uh, we're also watching uh, body language. And, and yeah, with, with all of these things, it is a little bit subjective in terms of how much you can do it to a particular boot. Uh, if someone's skiing in a soft snow environment, uh, versus a hard snow environment. Well, then the rules completely change. So there's another there's another red light. Um, a, a good one would be, you know, uh, someone comes from a race background and they're skiing in the east on hard snow, uh, and then they come to Revelstoke, and then they start talking about alignment. And I'm like, well, what ski are you on? You measured your alignment on a 68 millimeter ski and you're now on a 102 millimeter ski. How do, how do you think that plays a role? And then you can start talking about opposing force. So a lot of the school of thought is push the knee, push the knee. Well, you need a hard surface as opposing force to push the knee. If you're seeing on soft snow, there is no opposing force. It's, it's very rare. We'll always check cuff alignment in, in boots that we build. Uh, but a lot of the time, when we put people up on the wands or when we start checking the alignment, it's for our own confirmation that there's been no red flags before the boot goes out the door. Uh, it, it's very rare for us to actually have to address it. And when people come in and they're willing to say, hey, you know what? Check my alignment. I'll go through the process and I'm going to spend 250 bucks on this. Well, it's good communication that might suggest, hey, you know what? If you had 250 bucks out anyway, I can fix your alignment by putting you in a better footbed. There you go. Yeah, we're we're not our customers' accountants. It's not our place to say where they spend money and don't spend money, but we can advocate where the best place to spend money is, or not to spend money at all. Please yeah. don't spend money on this. <laughs> no, it's it's huge, and um, yeah, just kind of checking all these steps along the way so that they aren't you know chasing a problem that could have been resolved with something else entirely. Um, kind of at a simpler intervention than taking it all the way to like, oh, I just someone just cut the bottom of my boot. So, if there's people, if there's people, people listening to this, they they will have heard this uh, through me or some of the guys, especially at the Revelstoke store. They've come up with this catchphrase of 
you could give, if you were really emotionally attached to these dudes and you wrote a check to me for a million dollars to fix all of these issues, including alignment, I wouldn't be able to do it. There you go. <laughs> because it's just not possible. <laughs> yeah. And again, yeah, no, no magic here, no voodoo, you know, we can there only, is no we magic can only take no it so I'd far. rather share the math rather than suggest that, that there's voodoo involved. Yeah. And so it's good for people just, I mean, it is just like a simple game of numbers sometimes and trying to match certain angles to other angles and things like that and keep it just really simple and not overthink it um, or anything like that. And so when, when you can simplify these processes and kind of think of them step by step, that's a really nice way to go about it than trying to like overwhelm, you know, your entire way of like skiing by trying to think of this all at once. So it's really good to kind of take it gradually like this. Yeah. And you can't, you can't, you can't educate voodoo. You can't teach voodoo. So if I have five new staff members, I have to have something tangible to, to, to educate them so they can educate the consumer. And if it's not tangible, it's very difficult to teach. So we'd rather do everything based on math. But then when we use math as a training tool for uh, staff development or fitter development, we can also use it as a way to communicate with consumers and skiers so that everyone's on the same page. Yep. And that's a really good system that Pulse has is just really thinking of it mathematically and breaking it down in these ways. And so I'm sure people will be really curious to hear a lot more about how you guys do things. And there already is an episode with you, um, um, episode 35 of Gear 30, where you start to break down a lot of these really, really cool methods and technologies that Pulse uses to get to this place. Episode and... matches my age. Oh, cool. I'm totally lying. <laughs> I can't tell. It's over. I can't tell. You are. You look ageless on this computer. I'm absolutely lying. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, if you've listened to episode 35, you know it's impossible for Kai to be 35 because he's been boot fitting for quite a while. Um, well, anyways, Kai, I know we've touched on some external factors, snow surfaces, skis, binding, delta and angles and things like that and is there any other external factors that can play a part in this process i mean i know they're kind of limitless like my, maybe it's just someone's like mentality for the day you know so i was just about to say the, only, <laughs> the the thing that messes with alignment most is when people overanalyze it that's when when you said when you asked that question what should people pay attention to not their alignment they should pay <laughs> attention to skiing and enjoying themselves yeah. they think about their alignment too much you're taking way you're taking all the fun out of it if you have time, if, you, if you're thinking about your alignment, go faster. Yep. Go faster and ski harder or something. Turn less. Know. Just turn less. <laughs> All right. Well, there it is. I mean, I think we kind of walked through this entire process. You got a lot of really interesting information from Kai and he kept it really simple and broke it down in steps that are kind of digestible for people to think about. And with that, I just want to thank you so much, Kai. I'm really excited to hear more about Pulse and what you guys are doing. I know we got an update back in 2019, but I have a feeling a whole lot more has happened since then. So I'll be curious in just a couple of weeks to hear a lot more. That's awesome. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everybody. Well, that then brings us this week's edition of Gear 30. Thanks so much to Kai for sitting down and talking through some of these intricate and complex concepts with me and making it so simple and easy to understand. Thanks as always to you, the listeners. Thanks so much for Justin Bob for producing this episode. And this week, I am celebrating a whole lot. I just had a really magical birthday, right as the aspen leaves were turning gold. And I got to get together with all of my friends and community here in the Gunnison Valley and celebrate. And that was super magical. And to follow up, 
for my 30th birthday, I am planning a pretty big bike ride this week that hopefully everything aligns, the weather's looking good, I'm super excited. So as long as physically I can actually do this thing, I'm feeling pretty excited. So celebrating all that and a whole lot more. Thanks again to all of you for tuning in and we'll talk to you all again real soon.